Good morning. My name is Dave Nelson. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Christian Fellowship, and it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. I've been here at the church for 11 years. Before that, I was a financial advisor for, for just over nine years. And one of the books I read early on in my career as a financial advisor was a book by Peter Lynch. And, and Peter Lynch worked for Fidelity Investments from 1966 to 1990. And for the last 13 years of his business, he managed the Magellan Fund. And the Magellan Fund, he, he, met, he was able to do something that nobody had ever done before him. He had an annualized return of 29.3% per year for 13 years, which was more than double what the S&P 500 did during that same time. And so he was a phenomenal money manager. And he wrote a groundbreaking book in 1989 titled One Up on Wall Street. And this book really changed just how people looked at investing. So one key principle for investing, put simply, is this. As, a, as, a, as an investor, you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket, right? And, and so, but, but what he did is he proposed that the best companies in the world do exactly the opposite. They put all their eggs in one basket. And so those were the types of companies that he was looking for. So the, the, the way the Wall Street Journal puts it, how to succeed in business, do less. Most top performers in business have one thing in common. They accept fewer tasks and then obsess over getting them right. And, and Peter Lynch took that and, and he said that when companies diversify, what they often do is diversify, is they get worse because they get out of areas, out of their core areas of business. And, and believe it or not, there is a spiritual principle here that Jesus personified in his life and ministry. And so we're going to read from Luke 4, 31 to 44, and I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. And listen and look at the life of Jesus here. So Luke 4, 31 to 44, it should be on the, on the screen. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out in every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. 
And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Please join me in praying again. Father, what a privilege it is to have your word in front of us, the very word of God. Lord, thank you that you are communicating, God. You have not left yourself without a testimony, but we have it right here in front of us. And Lord, I pray that you would bless our time this morning, and I pray that Jesus Christ would be exalted in our minds and hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, Brett preached, Pastor Brett preached on Luke 4, 14 to 30, and that's the section immediately preceding this. And, and in that section, we read about Jesus, and Jesus was quoting, he, he stood up in a synagogue, and he was quoting a passage that was written 700 years before by the prophet Isaiah. And let me read that again. And it's found in Luke 4, um, verse 18 to 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The prophet Isaiah predicted 700 years before Christ came that when the Messiah came, he would preach and heal. And Jesus came, and he preached, and he healed. And, and that's the main point, the big idea of, of our section today. Jesus on mission. And we're going to look at a 24-hour period of Jesus' life and mission. And it's remarkable. We see everything. We get play by play how Jesus lived his life for a 24-hour period. And we see his ministry. And seven times in this passage... It emphasizes Jesus' speech. Jesus is speaking. He has a word-based mission. And take note that every time he opened his mouth, he was doing one of two things. He was preaching or he was healing. This is remarkable. Jesus did not spend his life seeking new and innovative ways to minister. He didn't, he didn't do that. He could have done that, but he didn't. He had a two-pronged approach to ministry, preaching and healing, and he spent his entire ministry doing those two things. So first, Jesus the preacher. Although he engaged in preaching and healing, preaching was his top priority, and we see that in the text, that, that Jesus' top priority was preaching. We see that in the structure of the text. This, this, this text that we're reading today starts off in verse 31. He went to Capernaum and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And then at the very end in verse 44, we see, and he was preaching in the synagogues. And so Jesus, that's a technique to show us that this was central. He starts and he finishes with preaching. 
but then also the, the content of his message. In verse 43, it says, But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus was sent for the purpose of preaching, and that's what he did. And, and it, it just illustrates something really clearly. Our greatest needs in this life are not physical, but spiritual. Heaven and hell are hanging in the balance. And Jesus spent his life proclaiming that we need to be made right with God. And so preaching was his priority. Now, he also, he taught with authority. He, he, he not only prioritized preaching, but when he did preach, he taught with authority. Verse 32 says this, And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. He preached graciously. His words were gracious, but firm, and they commanded obedience. In other words, Jesus didn't come with tentative suggestions. He came with a message that was to be heard and obeyed. So what was his message? Jesus proclaimed the holiness of God and the fallenness of man. In a nutshell, and we get this from the Sermon on the Mount, we get a picture of a sermon of his. He taught that if you are trying to get to heaven by trying to be a good person, you will never make it. You can never possibly be good enough. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, you must therefore be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus taught the holiness of God. He also taught the fallenness of man. And his preaching pointed to the fact that he was sufficient, that he is our Savior. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the true vine. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So he taught the holiness of God, our complete inadequacy, and that he is the way to salvation. That was his message. He prioritized preaching, and he preached with authority. So Jesus on mission. First, Jesus the preacher. Next, Jesus the healer. Jesus rebuked demons. Look with me at verse 35 and 36. But when Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him, and when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands unclean spirits, and they come out. Now, during Jesus' earthly ministry, there seemed to be an inordinate amount of demonic possession. We see it on every page. There, there were demons, it seems, all over the place. So is, is that the case today? Are there, does this still occur today? And, and I will say absolutely yes, I've seen it. But why does it not seem to come with the same frequency as we see in Jesus' ministry? 
I think there could be a couple of reasons for this. One, one commentator said, you know, if you just look at the population back then versus the population today, there are a lot more people today. The, the population has grown exponentially. Devil, the, there's one devil, and there's a finite number of demons. And maybe it's possible the devil is spread out more thinly nowadays. We have, we have many more people. That could be one ex, explanation. But in Jesus' ministry, we see that Satan rears his ugly head when God is at work and people are coming to faith. He hates to lose territory. And that was happening in a big way in Jesus' ministry. And so there, there, was, there was demonic possession. Often when he was speaking in the synagogue, Satan would be not wanting to let go. And, and we would see it right there. What... What is Satan really up to? The thief comes to still kill and destroy. And he will do whatever he can to keep us from knowing Jesus Christ and to keep us from growing. The parable of the sower and the seeds in Matthew 13 speaks of, of the word going out, the message going out. And, and it says that when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. Why did Jesus cast out demons? Because demons are intent that we don't hear the word of God, we don't understand it, and we don't walk away with it. And so there is... The devil's at work here this morning. If you come here, you hear the word of God proclaimed, and you don't understand it, the Bible says the devil immediately snatches the word. And so Jesus came, and he rebuked demons. He shut down what they were doing. But he also rebuked sicknesses. Look with me at verse 38 and 39. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now Luke was a physician, and when Luke says high fever, I think we can, we can gather from that that this woman is on her deathbed. She's got a high fever, and she's about to go. And, and Jesus speaks the word, and she is immediately healed. Just consider his power. Just speaking the word, and she's healed. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now just consider for a moment Jesus' attitude toward both demons and sicknesses. He rebukes them. And I understand rebuking a demon, but he even rebuked sicknesses and illnesses. And, and I think what we gather from that is the very heart of Jesus. He does not take joy in our suffering. It grieves him, even angers him, and we see him rebuking it in his ministry. And Jesus healed all who were brought to him. He didn't discriminate. Look with me at verse 40 and 41. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands 
on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. What an amazing Savior we had, we have, who, who looked out on the crowds and had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So in compassion, he healed every one of them. And the text goes to great lengths to, to help us to see that all who were brought to him were healed. Some of them were healed because of their, their own faith. Some of them were healed because of the faith of their friends. But Jesus, eager to heal, healed them all. And in the text we see that he's healing them, and then when we get that the sun is setting, and then, and then in verse 42 it says, and when it was day, and we get the idea that he was healing people all night long. I think the text is clear. So here's Jesus preaching and then healing, and he's healing people all night long. You imagine the sheer number of people who came to him and were healed. He healed them all, touching them. Just the personal care of our Lord and commanding demons and sicknesses to flee. That is our Savior. And I know this wasn't easy for him. It's easy, it's easy to just picture him just speaking the word and having this happen. But, but when he healed people, something happened. You remember the story when he was on his way to heal someone else, and a woman with the blood flow came behind and, and just touched his garment. And he says, he says who, who touched me? And his disciples said, what, what are you talking about? We're in, a, we're in a crowd. He says, I felt power coming out of me. So when Jesus healed people, it took something from him. So picture him healing people all night long. I loved, I really enjoyed season one of The Chosen. And I thought season two was good. I didn't, I didn't finish it, but I really enjoyed season one. But, it, but in season two, there's, I think it was season two, there's this scene of the disciples all sitting around a campfire and, and they're, you know, they're talking and they're, they're kind of getting frustrated with Jesus because Jesus is off you know, next door healing people. And there's this lineup of people that just goes on and Jesus just continues to heal them. And then at the end of the day, he kind of walks by. How many of you have seen that? He walks by and he's just exhausted. He looks like he's about to die and he's just stumbling. And he smiles to the disciples and says, oh, you know, God bless, I gotta go. And it's, it takes everything he has to kind of get to a, a deserted place to sleep because he's so exhausted. So Jesus, when he was here on earth, he spent his time preaching and healing. And when he healed, it cost him. It cost him dearly. And, and I think that in that scene, it really depicts it well. So here's Jesus. He's healing all night long. Morning comes, and he departs to go to a desolate place. Jesus on mission. Jesus the preacher. Jesus the healer. 
so what? What does this have to do with me? And here's where I want to just spend a little time. And I want to suggest three areas that this has profoundly to do with us. And so I'm going to quote the Wall Street Journal again. How to succeed in business. Do less. Most top performers have one thing in common. They accept fewer tasks and then obsess over getting it right or getting them right. I want to shift that a little bit. How to succeed as a Christian. Do less. Mature Christians have one thing in common. They simplify their lives and center them on Jesus. They refuse to diversify and instead put all their eggs in one basket, and that's Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we put all our eggs in one basket? Number one, we value preaching. Value the preached word of God. J.C. Ryle was an Anglican bishop of Liverpool in the 1800s, and he warned the people to, quote, beware of despising preaching. Beware of despising preaching. In every age of the church, it has been God's principal instrument for the awakening of sinners and the edifying of the saints. The days where there has been little or no preaching have been days when there has been little or no good done in the church. Let us hear sermons in a prayerful and reverent frame of mind. And remember, they are the principal engines which Christ himself employed when he was upon earth. So he was looking at this section, and, and J.C. Ryle is saying, do not despise preaching. Now, why in the world would we despise preaching? But sometimes it, it almost seems counterproductive. How do we despise preaching? I think we despise preaching by not listening intently to it, as if your very life depends on it, on hearing the Word of God proclaimed. This wasn't just Jesus who did this. You know, the apostles after him had problems that surfaced in the church. And you know what they said? They said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The disciples, what did they do? They centered on preaching. And they planted churches that would center on preaching. Do not despise preaching. And you might say, that's great, but I would be more excited if it was Jesus preaching. And this morning it happens to be Dave Nelson. Understandable. But, but know this, that Paul's preaching was not flashy. There was nothing exciting about Paul's preaching. Paul said himself that I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling so that your faith wouldn't rest on man's power but on God's spirit. Do you know what the people said of Paul, the Corinthians? They said his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak 
and his speech is contemptible or of no account. Do you know the people? Can you imagine? I would never come back again if you said that about me. So thank you for not saying that. And, and I mean, at, but that's what they said about Paul. And yet Paul faithfully preached because he understood that preaching is God's instrument for change in the world. We must not despise preaching. You know, the Bereans in Acts chapter 16, I believe, or 16 and 17, they listened to the word. And you know what? They weren't listening for warm and fuzzy feelings. They were listening and saying, is this what the Bible really says? And that was their measure. Not how do I feel or am I super excited, but is this true? Is what is being said, is this, is this the truth from the Bible? And they just made sure that it was true and accurate. And I think we live in such an entertainment society that we are often looking to be wowed. But that's not how God typically works. He works through faithful preaching week after week after week, just opening up what the Bible teaches. And lives are changed. Preaching that exalts the holiness of God and our fallenness. We fall short. Preaching that points to the sufficiency of Christ for everything. You think you can be a good enough person? You cannot. Your good works will damn you to hell if you're trusting in them. What do we trust in? The perfect work of Christ. We see it right here in Luke chapter 4. We see it everywhere. Jesus obeyed perfectly. God, it was God who said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus lived for our righteousness. And then he died a bloody, gruesome death for our judgment. We deserve to be judged. Jesus was judged in our place. Now, what does this, what does this do in the life of a church? It does two things. One is it brings salvation. Do you know that the church is full of people? And I was this way for 17 years. I know it well. Full of people who might be able to check the boxes. Yes, I believe there's a God. Yes, I believe there's a Savior. Yes, I believe he died on the cross and rose again. I could say all those things. I can honestly say I've never doubted that in my life, even as a pagan. I believe those things were true. But I wasn't surrendered to them. And the Bible describes a time in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that many will come to him on that last day and say, Lord, 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 we, we were there with you. We sat in your presence. We ate with you. And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So do you know it's possible to come to church every day of your life and yet be damned to hell? Preaching, the Spirit of God works through preaching to bring conviction. Oh, I'm not right with God. I need something more than just lip service. And that happens week after week in the church. It, I, with fear and trembling, 
I imagine that day when people in this room right now will be among those who say, Lord, Lord, but it's too late. But it's not too late right now. And God works through the message to draw people to himself when it comes from Scripture. So what is, what is the result of, of not spectacular preaching, but just faithful preaching? Salvation. Salvation. What else? Sanctification. You know, the Bible says that as we behold the glory of Christ, we become like him. So you know what happens week after week as we contemplate and look at Christ together? We become more and more like him. You know, often, very little happens in one sermon. But the sum total of week after week after week, five years, ten years, and then decades pass, is that we become more like Christ. And it's just like eating food. We don't necessarily often see these huge jumps. But over time, you're nourished, and you become more like Jesus. So salvation, sanctification are the result of preaching in the church. But also, so value preaching, but also value evangelism. Oh, God help us to value evangelism. The greatest need our country is facing today is not physical, it's not political, it's not social. It's not even, it's not at all any of these things. These things are nothing the greatest need facing us today is spiritual. People are on a fast track towards spending an eternity in hell. The Bible's really clear about this, and Jesus spoke about this more than any other thing. Well, Romans 10 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And it's obvious that this morning my task is to preach. Normally, week after week, Pastor Brett preaches. Okay, so sure, but you know that you have a responsibility here as well. In Acts chapter 8, the church was being persecuted, and it says the apostles stayed and the church was scattered. And it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Who is that? That's the congregants. They went about preaching the word wherever they went while the apostles stayed back in Jerusalem. Did it have an effect? Oh, yes, it did. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Do you understand that we have a problem? Can you explain that to a coworker or a friend or a neighbor? Yes, you can. Do you understand that Jesus is the solution? Yeah, can you articulate that? Yeah, we, we might do it in different ways, but you can articulate that message to your neighbor. Do you understand that we must respond through faith and repentance? Yes. Can you tell your neighbor that? Yes, I can't tell your neighbor that, but you can. And so God help us to value evangelism. If you're not good at it, talk to us. We would love to help you 
and disciple you and help you to get better at it. Value preaching, value evangelism, and lastly, value healing. And this is where we'll end. Now, when I say value healing, I don't mean to get distracted like the people of Capernaum. Now, the people of Capernaum, now, just the page before, earlier in Luke, we see the the folks in Nazareth. And here's how they responded to Jesus preaching. Jesus preached to them, and they grabbed him, and they tried to throw him off a cliff. That was their response. Not good. In our text this morning, Capernaum, how did they respond to Jesus preaching? Well, it says that at the very end, it says, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But then he says, I must preach. This is why I came. So what was going on? Their problem was that they were valuing healing and their physical needs more than they were valuing Jesus' message that he was preaching to them. And he later condemned them in Luke, and we'll get there. But he condemned them. So, value healing, not to the exclusion of our spiritual problems in preaching. And, and we have a tendency to do one or the other. We either are so excited about what's happening in the physical realm, and that's, that's a danger within the charismatic church. They often major on the healing. But in Reformed churches like ours, we have a tendency to go to the other side and just ignore it. It was, what did Jesus do? He preached and he healed. It matters. It's important. Don't get distracted like the people of Capernaum. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Jesus healed. Now, does Jesus heal everybody? No, he doesn't. But he gives us just what we need to serve him. Remember Paul with the thorn in the flesh. Paul didn't, Paul pleaded with him to take that thorn away. We don't know what it was, maybe some kind of physical ailment, but he pleaded with him and he said, no, I'm not. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes God allows us to suffer. This is kind of like a boot camp and sometimes life is hard, but it's temporary. And it, it, it draws us closer to him in very, very unique ways. But sometimes it is his will to completely remove what it, whatever it is you're suffering from physically. And, and I just want to say, again, don't be like Capernaum where you're just focused on give me my health or I'm done. But don't be like we often are where we just ignore that stuff and we just move forward. Value healing. You know, there's a mechanism for that in the church. And many people, I mean, it's, it's kind of a unique verse. But in James 5, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Value preaching, value evangelism, and value healing. Please, let us pray with you. We'd love to pray with you today.
Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, stuck with his mission, God help us to do the same. If you're here this morning and, and you haven't valued preaching, I, just, I encourage you to just confess that to the Lord and say, Lord, God, please help me to be so attentive to your word when it's proclaimed because that is my very life. God, help us to take seriously what God takes seriously. And maybe you're here and, and you've had opportunity after opportunity to share the gospel, but you just don't tell anybody about Jesus. I would say repent. Ask God for help. Ask him to make you so excited about this message that it naturally comes out when you're with people. I'm not saying be obnoxious, but I am saying tell people about what is most significant in your life. And healing. Let's pray that this be a place where people are healed of sicknesses. God still works that way today. I'd love to see more and more. And I've seen some of it, and it's unbelievable. Let's pray that God would make this a place of spiritual and physical healing. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. What an incredible Savior we have. Oh, God, we want to be more like him. We just pray that you would be at work in our midst in powerful ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.